I want to begin with a little bit of an apology. If I seem a little sluggish or uh, slow of speech or whatever, I'm fighting a little bit of a cold this morning. And uh, I won't be greeting folks in back. So it's not that I don't care about you. I just do care about you. And uh, we'll choose not to share whatever it is that I've come down with. Did check last night. It's not COVID, but there's flu running around, colds running around, RSV running around, everything's running around, and one of it ran into me uh, in the last couple of days. Well, I hope you have your Bibles and open to uh, the book of First Peter. We've been going all fall through this little letter, marvelous little letter, and today we finish up one last lesson from First Peter as we begin a new year. I don't know how it was around your house last night, but around our house, it became a war zone, right, as midnight hit and uh, 2023 landed and uh, there were all the fireworks and 2023 is here. It's hard to say. I never thought I would live old enough that Jesus wouldn't come back before, you know, 2023. Wow. What's 2023 going to be like for you? What's coming in 2023? A lot of us here this morning had a lot of different things happen in 2022. Some of you are are sad to see 2022 go because it was a great year. Others of you are very glad that 2022 is gone. You're looking forward to something different. I know many of your stories. Some of you in last year have had wonderful blessings, new jobs, new homes, new babies. Others of you have had, in 2022, you had heartbreaks, shocking losses, surprising diagnoses, financial reverses. And so we wonder as we look at 2023, is it going to be a year of blessings or is it going to be a year of problems? Will 2023 bring an end to a long period of struggle? Or will 2023 be the beginning of a long period of struggle? Will 2023 add troubles to your existing troubles? Or will 2023 just add blessings on top of your blessings? I imagine if you're like me, if I have a choice, 2023 will be a year of blessings on top of blessings. Most of you up for that. That's what we would choose, but we don't get to choose, do we? We live in a fallen, broken world. There will be no life without pain and suffering and difficulty until we get to heaven. The Apostle Peter in this little letter is is writing to people who are in very difficult circumstances. They have been undergoing suffering. They've been undergoing persecution. They are in dire straits, and he wrote in chapter 4 and verse 12, telling these people who are already in difficulty, said, don't be surprised when a fiery trial comes, when you enter a fiery trial. Their bad times could get worse, and from history it appears that things did. This letter reminds us that God has called us to a living hope. We sang earlier a song that we that Jesus is our living hope. And 
in 1 Peter chapter 1, it talks about that He has called us to a living hope. A hope that that is to fill our lives, a hope that is to give us hope even in the midst of dire times, difficult circumstances. And if Peter is writing that to these folks in those days, it applies equally well to us today in whatever our situations are. I can't tell you what you or I are about to face in 2023. But this morning, as we look at Peter's closing words here in 1 Peter chapter 5, I believe Peter gives us five keys that will help us to live well whatever we face in this new year. Five keys to living well. as It's been really the theme through this whole book, but he summarizes some things here in these five keys. Verse 6, 1 Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. First key to living well in 2023 is be humble. Be humble. Pride is a big problem. If you can remember back to our last message in this book, it was last year, three weeks ago. We were here in chapter 5. We ended with verse 5. And verse 5 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pride puts us at odds with God. Puts us in opposition to Him. He was a prideful heart that turned Lucifer into Satan. The first known sin in the universe when Satan in his pride said, I will make myself like the Most High. as recorded in Isaiah 14. It was pride that plunged the human race into sin and into destruction and death. When our ancestors ate that forbidden fruit, believing Satan's lie, when he said, you will be like God. Pride sets us at odds with God and at odds with one another. Because the reality is, every one of us, we want to be valued. We want to be prized. We want to be loved. We want to be appreciated. We want to be admired. But may I say... Let us remember that Jesus said that for those of us who are his followers, the way up is the way down. He said, whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. If we want to be first, if we want to be valued, prized, loved, appreciated, we are to seek not to be valued, loved, appreciated. We are to seek to serve we are seek to seek humility, not honor and recognition. Peter has called them and he's called us to submit to authorities. It's a big theme that we saw back in a couple of chapters before. We are even to submit to authorities that are difficult. We are to submit to unjust government. We are to submit to mean, even cruel masters. We are to submit to difficult spouses. 
We are even, he says, to submit to one another. That we are to consider others ahead and above ourselves. The reality is that submitting to others is difficult. And especially if they are not pleasant, if they are not fair, if they are not just, if they are ungodly. It can be painful. It can be costly. So why would we do that even when it hurts? Well, this command, humble yourselves, is actually in the passive voice, which what that means is it means that it's something that is done to us, not something we do. It means allow ourselves to be humbled. It doesn't just say humble yourself. As I was thinking about that this week, I realized that, you know, I am such a proud person that when God says, be humble, I say, okay, I will humble myself and I will submit to whatever. See? (laughs) And I'm proud of my humility. When what he doesn't say is humble yourself so you can be proud of your humility, what he says is allow yourself to be humbled. So you can take no pride in your humility. It informs us where it says here, allow ourselves to be humbled. It informs us that God is work. He's at work in our situations. He's at work in our life to humble us. Notice the next phrase after that. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. God is almighty and he is sovereign. And that means that every situation, every circumstance, every problem, every trial, every suffering in our life is not in our life by accident. It's not in our life by coincidence. It is there because the sovereign almighty God has allowed it to come into our life. And God wants to use our difficulties. He wants to use our sufferings. He wants to use our circumstances to help us deal with our pride problem. We can respond to the difficulties and the problems and the sufferings and the situations in our life, we can respond to them in one of a couple of different ways. We can respond to them like a potato or we can respond to them like an egg. You see, if you take an egg and you put an egg in boiling water, an egg gets hard. If you take a potato and you put a potato in boiling water, the potato gets soft. God doesn't want us to be eggs. He wants us here to be potatoes. God wants to use the sufferings and the difficulties, the problems, the persecutions, the circumstances of our life. He wants to use them to soften our hard hearts. To soften us, to make us humble rather than hardening our prideful hearts. We need to cooperate with the process, allow ourselves to be humbled. It goes on to say, so that he may exalt you. 
because the almighty sovereign God is in control of our lives and in control of every situation, you realize that you don't have to fight to get ahead. That is the way of the world. Everything in the world says you've got to, if you want things to happen, you've got to make them happen. Nobody else is going to look out for you. You've got to look out for yourself. You've got to push your way ahead. You've got to force your way ahead. And God said, not so. Jesus said, for those who are his disciples, whoever wishes to be great must be the servant, the slave of all. The way up is down. We simply need to seek to be a faithful servant of of Jesus Christ. And we leave the results up to him. And he may exalt you. You know, God can raise up anyone he wants at any time. We see some marvelous examples in Scripture. We see Joseph, who's who's moved from slavery into the highest place in his master's house. Then he ends up in prison due to false accusations. And then God moves him from prison to the palace, makes him number two, the, the second in command of all of Egypt. We see the same sort of thing with Daniel, who has moved from prison to the palace. God can raise anyone up at any time. And when God wants to raise someone up, no one else is going to stop God from what he's going to do. We don't have to push ahead. We don't have to push ourselves forward. We don't have to exalt ourselves. We simply are called to be faithful, humble servants. In that time when God does exalt us, he says it will be at his timing, not ours, at the proper time. And by the way, there is an exalting coming. He has, we see there in chapter 1, there is an an inheritance for us. There are glories coming. There are wonderful things coming. It's going to come in His timing and not ours. For some, there may be vindication, there may be glory, there may be exaltation on earth. But primarily, for most of us, trusting Jesus, it's not coming, none of that's coming until we get to heaven. And the glories there are wonderful. First key for 2023, be humble. Allow God to humble us. Second key for 2023, we find it in the next verse. Verse 7. Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Casting all your anxieties, it says here in the ESV, upon Him, because He cares for you. Get rid of worry. It's very easy for me to say, I'm not walking in your shoes. I'm not experiencing what you're experiencing. Some of you are walking through very deep valleys, very difficult times. When someone says, don't worry, you say, right. Peter is writing to people who are in terrible distress. And he's not just spouting, he's not just spouting trite phrases here. What he tells us here is the real pathway to handling real problems, real difficulties without worry. He says, first of all, he says, cast or casting. Literally that word is to throw off your anxieties. It's to recognize that This isn't just a a minor thing. I need to do this. And it's not just set it down. It's throw it off. Get rid of it. 
Cast off your anxiety. Stop carrying the weight of things that you cannot control. You know, if, if the problems, if the situations in your life are something that you can do something about and should do something about, then get off your duff and do it. <laughs> you know, sometimes the problems we face are because we're just lazy or we're procrastinators or whatever. If that's, if that's what you're worried about, then stop worrying and get busy. On the other hand, if your problems, if your situations are beyond your abilities to fix, they're beyond your resources to handle, they're beyond your wisdom to understand, if there are things that you cannot or should not attempt to fix, then stop worrying about what you cannot do. He says to cast off, to throw off such anxiety. Far too often we spend time worrying about things that we cannot control. But Peter isn't just telling us here to act like the old Bobby Farron song, don't worry, be happy. He's not saying just pretend like your problems don't exist. Pretend like you don't have any troubles. You know, who cares? It's, that's not what he's saying at all. What he says here, he says, cast or casting all your anxieties on Him, on God. What He's telling you isn't just don't worry. What He's telling us is trust God. There are many things that we cannot control. There are many things that are beyond our ability to fix, to address. But they are not beyond our Almighty God. And he's simply saying, stop worrying about things that are above your pay grade. Give them to God. Throw them upon Him. And when we throw them upon Him, let's leave them there. What we often do is we try to go take them back. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul called us to do in Philippians 4. Do not be anxious. Do not worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The way that we give God our problems, the way that we give God our situations, the way we give Him our anxieties is we take them to Him in, in prayer. We say, God, here's my situation. It's a mess, isn't it? It's beyond my ability to do anything with this. God, would you take this, please? I'm putting it in your hands. Notice he says not only are we to take these to the Lord in prayer, he says we're to do it with thanksgiving. Don't miss that little word there little phrase. The same time we're taking our problems and concerns now, we thank Him for all the blessings that we, that we have even in the midst of our problems. And we thank Him for the way that He has resolved the last set of problems that we had. And that is part of what changes our mindset and changes our heart. So that He goes on there to say in that verse, and then the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace that, he says, surpasses all understanding. It is the peace of God that doesn't make sense. But it's real because we are trusting God with what only God can fix. We've let go of our worry. So Peter reminds us that we are to get rid of our worry by casting our anxieties on God, by trusting Him. And he also reminds us of one more very important truth. 
And that is because He cares for you. We serve a God who is a loving, gracious God. He is good. And He is almighty. There's nothing beyond His capability and His ability. And nothing can separate us from His love, Romans chapter 8 says. And so anxious worry has no place in the Christian life. I would say that worry is sin because worry is either doubting God's ability to solve our problem, it's saying that God really isn't God, or it's doubting God's character, it's doubting God's goodness that God really cares and will do what He says. And He will care for us. To live well in 2023, be humble. To live well in 2023, let's get rid of worry. And instead, let's trust God. To live well in 2023, verse 8. He says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Most of us, most of the time, are worried about all the wrong things. We've just talked about not worrying. But usually what we are worried about is we're worried about our job, we're worried about our bills, we're worried about our popularity, or our homework, or our car that's not running right, or we're worried about, you know, all these Unimportant things. It's really rather like being on a camping trip out in deep in the middle of the woods, and there you are, a little huddle of friends around the campfire, and you're talking about what are we going to eat? Well, let's see here. We've got this, and we've got that, and we're talking about what we're going to eat. We're talking about what we're going to do after dinner, and we're talking about all these things which aren't bad. But what nobody's paying attention to is that just 10 feet away, over in the shadows in the dark, there's a grizzly bear saying grace. God, for the food I'm about to eat, I am truly thankful. (laughs) And so it is. We are often so worried about the things that don't matter Well, what Peter says here is we need to be on guard. We need to be sober-minded. We need to be watchful. Why? Because we have an enemy. See, unfortunately, most Christians believe that the Christian life is supposed to be like we are on a cruise ship and we're just supposed to sail blissfully through life which is not what the Bible says the Christian life is to be. The Bible says the Christian life is that we are here as God's people, as Peter has told us earlier back in chapter 2. We are God's people, a people for his, for his own possession, a people that, that He is called to be a kingdom of priests, a people who are to be declaring the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's all He says in chapter 2. We are here on a mission. We are to be proclaimers of the mercies and the grace and the excellencies of God to a lost world, in a dark world. We are here on a mission. And because we are here on a mission, we have an enemy. The enemy is Satan. It says here, our adversary. 
Our word Satan, by the way, just comes from the Hebrew. The Hebrew word for adversary or for, or for enemy is where we get that word Satan. He also says here he is the devil. That's the Greek word for slanderer or the accuser. We learn a lot about this enemy just by what it says here. He's, he's an adversary. He's our enemy. He's a slanderer. And it says that he is, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone. Our enemy is actively looking for people, for you, for me. And his intention is to devour. It is to destroy. So, And he says we are to be mindful, we are to be sober, we are to be intently, constantly aware of this reality. At this point, you might be thinking, now wait a minute. Pastor, you just said we're not supposed to worry about things like, you know, all those things like my to-do list, medical tests, uh, pressures, overdue bills, difficult neighbors, Problems with the car, problems with our kindergartner, problems with, you know, all of these things. We're supposed to let all these worries go. So we're not people who are, who are anxious and worried all the time. And now you say we're supposed to be concerned that we have an enemy. An enemy who is supernatural, who is immensely powerful, who is immensely knowledgeable, an enemy who is invisible, and an enemy who wants to destroy us. Feel better yet? Wow. No, we don't feel better when we think about that. We we tend to worry about all the wrong things. He says, stop worrying about all these other things. But he said, do be mindful. You have a powerful enemy. However, let us be aware. Yes, we have an enemy who wants to destroy us. But the way he wants to destroy us it's not like what Hollywood, what Hollywood portrays. Satan's way of destruction is not with demonic monsters terrorizing us at night and causing us to die in some bloody, gory fashion. That's ridiculous Hollywood. Satan is very real and he wants to destroy us. But in Scripture, what we see is that Satan's primary tools of destruction are lies and temptation. Satan is, Jesus says, John chapter 8, he is the father of lies. Lies blind us, they trap us, they bind us. Satan desires for us to, to, he desires to get us to believe lies. He desires to get us speaking lies. He desires to get us propagating lies. He desires to get us following lies. Because lies incapacitate us. Lies trap us. But Jesus said it's the truth that will set us free. He goes on there in John 8. And temptations. Satan desires to tempt us to get us into sin using lies and temptations together because sin destroys us and sin destroys others. 
Sin brings sorrow. Sin brings pain. Sin ultimately brings death. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23 says. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it is the way of death. It's that pride thing again. You see, pride causes us to think that we have a better plan than God does. There's a way that seems right to a man. I've got my own idea. God, I know what you want. God, I know what you don't want, but I think differently. I I have a better idea here. It is always destruction. It is always death. It is always sorrow and always pain. Sin makes us stupid, I like to say. How it does. Well, we have an enemy who wants to destroy us. And he wants to, and his tools are lies and his tools are temptations. What are we to do about that? We are to be aware. We're to be on guard. But notice the next verse, verse 9. The fourth of our keys here to a good year, to living well in 2023. It says, resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Resist Satan. I can't say for sure, but I have a feeling that pretty much any one of us in this room, if we came face to face when we walk out the doors today with a live, ferocious lion... Most of us will be lion lunch. Okay? Now, maybe not all of us against one lion, but if it's just you, or if it's just me against one lion, most of us will be lion lunch. We don't stand a chance, most of us, against a real, live, ferocious lion. So how much chance do we stand against Satan? Our adversary, our enemy, who was the highest created being that God made. How do we stand a chance against him? But this says, notice, resist him. It's not telling us to do something we cannot do. We don't have to be his victim, it's saying. We are not powerless, nor are we defenseless. And in fact, Peter reminds us in this little verse of two wonderful tools that we have to stand against Satan's attacks. How we can be victors rather than victims. Notice he says, resist him firm in your faith. Stand firm in your faith. Since one of Satan's great weapons against us is lies, the antidote is we need to learn God's truth. We need to learn God's word. When we believe lies, we are more susceptible to sin. So we should aim to know well and to hold tightly to God's truth. Temptation looks so inviting. Okay, maybe that doesn't look inviting to us. But if you're a mouse and there's real cheese on there, it's inviting. And it works because mice aren't particularly smart. But if a mouse understands that that is not a buffet, that is bait, then a mouse won't go there. Just like if a hook, if a fish looks at a bait, a worm, or you know whatever it is that we put on the hook, if they understand that it's a hook, 
If that's bait, not lunch, they'll avoid the hook. That's what truth does. Truth shines the light on Satan's lies. And when he puts the bait out there, we don't buy it. If we are standing firm in our faith, we're standing firm in the truth of God's Word. So he says, know God's Word, stand in it. Because it pulls back the curtains so that we can see the truth we need to counter the devil's lies. Another thing he says, though, he says, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world, the attacks that you are going to face this year in 2023 from Satan are not unusual and they are no different than what other brothers and sisters in Christ experience in this room or around this world. And what he's saying, how important it is for us not only to stand firm in our faith, but to stand together. How we need the body of Christ. We need to be encouraging one another. We need to be connected to one another. We need to be praying for one another. If you are not already in the habit of being regularly and consistently meeting with other believers for worship and prayer and encouragement and growing together, then you need to do that. If not this church, in some other church, but we need one another. By the way, I would say not only do we need to be here on Sunday morning, we need some time outside of this room with a smaller group of believers with whom we can share a little more and dig a little deeper and pray together know one another so we don't just walk in the doors and walk out. We need to be connected in the body of Christ. Together we stand stronger against Satan's schemes. Now, may I say, by the way, we don't have to win a war with Satan. We don't have to fight him and defeat him. I can't find that here on the pages of Scripture that we need to defeat Satan. It's not our job. Jesus took on that job. Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. He is already a defeated foe. It is Jesus who with one word will condemn him to hell. His defeat is certain already. We know where he's going. We find that at the end of the book in Revelation. We don't have to defeat Satan. All it calls us to do here is what? Resist. Don't cave to his lies. Don't cave to his tricks. Don't cave to his temptations. James says it similarly. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. And he adds this phrase. He will flee from you. If we are faithful to resist, he will leave. Lastly, We are to be humble, to get rid of worry, to be on guard, to resist Satan. The fifth key to living well in 2023, look in verses 10 and 11. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. There's wonderful news here. Peter doesn't sugarcoat life. He doesn't say, by the way, guys, everything's going to be wonderful. (laughs) What he says is, after you have suffered a little while, 
Everybody living in this life is going to suffer some. Most suffering is just for a little while. Some suffering lasts all life long. But he says, in a little while, it's going to be over. Maybe it'll be a short time of suffering. Maybe it will end with death. But one day, it's going to end when Jesus comes back. The real focus here, I think, of these verses is we are to be expectant. We are to be knowing that Jesus is coming back. There's a wonderful reason to be hopeful. Jesus is our great hope. We will personally see Him. We will personally love Him. We will personally be loved by Him. Pastor Larry is going to talk next week. He's going to to preach. Pastor Dyer is going to preach talk a little bit about future, about prophecy, about things to come. I'm already excited. Can't wait to hear what he's going to say. I don't know what he's going to say. What I know is bad things are coming in this world, but it's going to end well. Good things are coming. Jesus is coming back. And when he does, he's bringing with him glory. He's bringing with him kingdom And that's our great hope. So he says, for a little while, whatever you're going through, brother and sister, and I don't know what it is, for some of you it's very big, for some of you it's not right now, but it's just for a little while. And then he says, the God of all grace. Never forget, we serve a God who is good and who is gracious. It's a promise that he's at work right now. Even as Romans 8 says, for our good. And it's a reminder here, he says, that this God has called us to His eternal glory. He has given to us an eternal destiny. He mentions it here. He talks about it back in chapter 1. We looked at that when we began the study. He has big eternal plans for you and me, all of us who are trusting Christ as our Savior. Whatever we are enduring now, Peter is saying here, it's worth it. It's worth it. And so he says in this, since he's saying not only is Jesus coming back, but he says because it's true, live with heavenly priorities, not earthly ones. And lastly, don't miss that little phrase, he himself, he himself will Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He's going to do it personally. We not only serve a big God and a gracious and a loving God, we we serve a personal God. Our personal God will personally restore you. He will personally confirm you. He will personally strengthen you. He will personally establish you. He will personally, this tender, gracious God will personally Bring to fruition all of the eternal wonders, all of the eternal joys, all the eternal good that He has planned for us. And so as we head into 2023, let us never forget that we serve a loving, personal, tender, gracious God. So let's love Him and let's live for Him this year. Father, thank You for these words. Thank you for this marvelous book. We've kind of gotten tired hearing about suffering and persecution and difficulty and troubles. But it was the life 
It was the everyday experience of these dear believers, and so it is for many today, even some who are here. How we need to hear that we can survive through such days and we can thrive in such days because you are a good and a loving and a gracious God. How we need to see that you are working in us right now and you desire to deal with this problem of pride in our life. So may we commit ourselves to allow ourselves to be humbled this year. Father, may we not waste our time in useless worry, but cast our cares upon you and trust you. May we remember that we have an enemy and be focused on the mission rather than being deterred by him. May we resist his lies and his temptations. And may we be expectant one day, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, Jesus is coming back. Everything will change. And may we live with priorities that match the reality that Jesus is coming back. So we ask in his name. Amen.